Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, Galatians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to put it on the screen. And so if you don't have your Bibles, you'll be able to look up here with us. Galatians chapter 6. I started a sermon series a while back at the beginning of the year called Grow. Hey, let me tell you, let me say something about growing, by the way. In January, we averaged 200 more in attendance every Sunday than last January, which was a record attendance last January. Thank you for inviting people to church. Thank you for being out in Peavine City. We're talking about adding a third service now, maybe on the weekends. And so uh, uh, we're excited. So keep inviting. You will make room. I know it may have been hard to find a seat today, but come back. Uh, we're going to make room because we, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what we feel like God's going to do in our midst. So thank you so much. But I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Grow, the beginning of the year. And we're, we're talking about really going through the spiritual disciplines. Our 21 days of prayer ends today. And uh, man, I'd encourage some of you just go through that again and, and start it over. And so really great stuff our staff wrote in there. And so we're, we're looking at those spiritual disciplines because here's what we know. God saves us so we can grow and become the person he meant for us to be. Now, God doesn't save us to leave us the same. He saves us, and the Bible says, he saved us so we can be conformed to the image of Christ. And here's what we know. God's vision for our lives is greater than our vision for our lives. That's not going to happen automatically. It's going to happen as we grow in the process of these spiritual disciplines. So we've uh, been looking at that. I preached on grow up, read up, pray up, church up. And today I want to preach on this subject, serve up, Galatians chapter 6. You ever just get hungry in the middle of the night and need to do something about it? There's this guy named Alex Bowen who just a little while ago got hungry in the middle of the night. It was about 2 a.m. And so Alex decided to get up, get dressed, and go to his local Waffle House and get him something to eat. Now, I mean, we're in the South. There is nothing better than a Waffle House at 2 a.m., right? Like, that is as good as it gets. And so I'm sure Alex got really excited about it, and he, 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 he goes to his local Waffle House, and uh, he walks in, and he's the only one there. There's nobody else there. And he starts looking around, because usually there's two or three employees around somewhere, and he starts looking, and he's there for about 10 minutes, and nobody's there. And so he, he finally finds one guy in the whole restaurant. And he sound asleep. So Alex decided to take matters into his own hand. So he started taking pictures, only shot the one. He took pictures of him in the restaurant. Uh, restaurant's a strong word for a Waffle House, I think. But he, 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 he took pictures of him in the, in the Waffle House. He took pictures of the guy that was asleep. And then he walked over to the grill and he cooked him a Texas bacon cheesesteak melt. It was actually a double. A double bacon Texas cheese. And the whole time he's taking pictures of him flipping his sandwich and cooking his fries back there, he took pictures of him paying for his food. He took pictures of him cleaning up the grill when he was done. And the lone employee never woke up the entire time. <laughs> Waffle House found out about it because a lot of people 
sent the photos to Waffle House and they applauded his culinary skills, but they said for us not to do it because of safety reasons. But here's what I'd say. When you need a double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt, you just need a double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt. Can I get a witness this morning? It supports the theory. See if you've heard this phrase. I'll see if you can finish it. It supports the theory. If you want something done right, and apparently that applies to the Waffle House too. If you want something done right, then do it yourself. And that, that's true in your family sometimes. You know, you've got kids and you're trying to train up kids on the way they should go. And you know, as a mom or dad, sometimes you're trying to tell your teenager how to do something. After a while, it's just easier to do it yourself. And you do that sometimes on your job. Maybe you supervise people or you work with people and they want to know how to do something. You're trying to train them. And in the amount of time it takes you to train them to do it, you could have already had it done. Sometimes it's just easier you want something done right to do it yourself that's true at the family that's true at your job that's hey apparently it's even true at the waffle house but it ought not to be true at the church house see every member of the church God intends for us to serve the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, he goes on and he says this. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number four. Here's what he says about serving in the church. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Now look at verse number seven. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one, get this, for the profit of... All, for the profit of all. Here's what, here's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that here at Peavine, there are a lot of gifts. There are a lot of ministries. My, my gifts are not your gifts, and your gifts are not my gifts, and my passions and my abilities may not be yours. But here's what he's saying. Every one of us have been given to the local body of Christ so that we can use our gifts so that the church as a whole is what verse number seven says, can prosper. So that we all can benefit that God has given you. So get this this morning. You are a gift to the church. You're not, you're not a gift to the church at large, universal church. That's, that's barely ever talked about in the Bible. Whenever you see the word church in the Bible, it's almost always exclusively a local body of Christ. And here's what Paul was trying to say, that Pivine, you are a gift to Pivine. That God has given you every single, this is Bible, this is not preacher talk. Every single child of God, you have gifts, you have passions, you have talents, you have resources, you, you, you have these abilities that God has placed you here at this church for you to use it for the kingdom of God. And that's for everybody that's been saved. God has gifted you. And so you are then a gift to Pivon. You do know ministry is not reserved for pastors and preachers and staff members and people who get paid by the church. As a matter of fact, don't, don't, even, don't look there. I'm not even putting it on the screen, but write this. If you're taking notes, write it down. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Do you know what Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says? Don't even turn there. Just look this way. Do you know what Ephesians 4, 11, and 12? Ephesians 4, 11 says it's not the pastor's job to do ministry. 
You say, wait a minute, that's what we paid for. No. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says it's my job to train you and equip you to do the ministry. Because you're a gift to this church. You're supposed to be serving here and to those who are willing to work for the kingdom of God and for the church of God. Serve up. Paul has a word for you in Galatians 6. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it and we'll begin in verse number 7. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Verse number 8. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Or the King James even says faint. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. I mean, that's everybody we ought to be doing good to, but especially to those who are the household of faith, or in other words, the church of God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, Paul is concluding Galatians chapter 6, and he's talking about uh, uh, those who are active in the church serving the Lord. And and Galatians has been a great book so far. He's done away with some misconceptions about the gospel, and he set the gospel record straight. And Paul's kind of concluding with a word for those who are uh, uh, active in the church. And here's what he says. He's like, hey, when somebody in the church falls, the spiritual people ought to help pick them up. You know, we, we can be the world's worst as Christians. You know that, don't you? We, we, we devour our wounded oftentimes in the church. Paul said, hey, when somebody in the church falls, just you, the spiritual people in the church, help pick them up, help restore them, help get them back to where they need to be with God. And he also gave a word about pride. He said, hey, and, and while you're doing that, just be careful that you aren't prideful and you say something like this, well, uh, I'll help him, but this would never happen to me. That's usually the last words of somebody who's about to fall. And Paul said, you restore them, but be careful. Don't go around talking about what a great Christian you are and how you would never have done that. That would never happen to you because the enemy has a trap laid for you as well. And so then he talks about bearing one another's burdens. I love that. And then he talks about how we all ought to carry the load. And it's in verse number seven as he's talking about we all distributing the load in the body of Christ that he, he says a word to people that should be serving in the church. So can I, can I say to you just three things I want to try to point out? There's so much preaching in these 10 verses. There, there's, there's a dozen sermons or more in these 10 verses. But let me just point out three things I think we need to hear about serving God today. Number one, I want you to hear this. I'm not working for salvation, but from salvation. Now, if we're going to talk about serving God, you have to understand why you're serving God. Because the world is full of people who think that if they do enough good, God one day will let them into heaven. So look this way. I want you to hear my heart this morning because I love you. I care about you. I want you to hear the absolute gospel truth that you cannot work your way into heaven. Can I get an amen right there? See, the world is full of people. As a matter of fact, somebody told me this morning there was another preacher of another denomination who's on television saying the opposite of what I'm about to say right now. But listen, the world world thinks this way. The world thinks, and it's prevalent. By the way, there's a vast majority of people in the church, even in, in a church like ours, who you know theologically it's not correct, but in your heart you can't get away from it. In your heart you may have never really trusted Christ because we have this philosophy in our life that says this, well, 
I, I may not be a believer, but here's what I think. That, that when I get to heaven, if I have done enough good, God's going to put all of my good on one side of the scale, and he's going to put all of my bad on the other side of the scale. And if I, if I can just serve God enough, if I can just do enough good, if I can just be kind enough to my fellow man, then my good deeds are going to outweigh my uh, bad deeds, and God's going to say, ah, shucks, come on in. You, man, you, you kept the preschool. Only saved people would keep the preschool, right? I mean, that's, no lost people would ever do that. And God, I've kept the preschool for goodness sakes. If there's ever been a job, God, if you smelled the nursery, it's hard in there. <laughs> the problem with that thinking, and we say it, we hear it at funerals. We hear it, we'll, we'll, we'll wheel somebody around to the front, somebody who's been in church a long time, and you'll hear a preacher say, you'll hear people say around the casket, well, if, if anybody's in heaven, oh, Bob's in heaven. Listen, that is a works-based mentality. Nobody's getting to heaven because of their goodness. You know why? You ain't good. It's bad English, but it's great theology. You're not good because we've all fallen short. The glory of God. Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there is, how many say that word with me? None. None righteous. No, not, not even one. There is how many? None who understands. There is how many? None who seeks after God. Verse 12. They've all turned aside. They've, all, they've together become unprofitable. There is how many? None who does good. No not even one. Romans 3, 23. For how many? For how many? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't work your way to heaven because all it takes is one slip up and you are messed up for all of eternity. And there's only ever been one that could earn his way into heaven and his name was Jesus. But for you, for me, you say, well, preacher, I, I've tried to do good, and I applaud you trying to do good. I'm talking about serving God this morning. You ought to serve God. But you don't serve God in order to be saved. You serve God because you have been saved. Because of all the good you can pile up on your side, it all falls short of God's standard, which was perfection. Hey, hey any of you ever remember this game growing up? How many of you remember that game, Operation? You remember that game? That is the most nerve-wracking game. Like, no wonder we don't have a lot of surgeons in the world. There's no way I'd be a surgeon after playing this game. The other day, me and Michaela and Josh and Sherry were playing the game with a five-year-old. Now, think this. I don't, nobody cares about the five-year-old. The four of us were in an intense game of operation. And I want to be honest with you, it is one of the most nerve-wracking things you've ever done. Michaela was shaking like an alcoholic on detox, man. Michaela was going into that thing. Her hand was doing this. I'm like, you need a pill or something, KK? What is going on? Because, listen, when that buzzer goes off, you remember the game? The, the, and you hit the sides with the little metal thing, and it goes off. It goes, zzz, y'all remember that? We all four jumped and screamed like little girls when the game was going off. <laughs> I needed a Valium. Like, I needed some medicine. It was nerve-wracking. You'd be a little ham bone or some whatever bone it is in there, and, and you'd get that, you'd get that, uh, you'd, you'd get your little tons, your little surgical instrument right on the bone, and you think I got this, and then you'd pull it up, and you'd just barely scrape the side. 
And that whole game goes. It's frustrating. But here's what we figured out in the game. It didn't matter if you touched the side a little or if you touched the side a lot. The buzzer still goes off. Electricity doesn't lie. Can I tell you theology is the same way? Salvation is the same way? It doesn't matter if you send a little or if you send a lot. The buzzer still goes off and says you are a sinner. And no amount of work you can do can cover up for that sin. You say, well, then, preacher, what is the hope? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible gives us the hope in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was the only person. that you remember when Jesus was baptized, that when he was coming up by the water, there was a voice from heaven. And remember what it said? This is my beloved son in whom I am well. Please, he's the only one that in his lifetime had met the glory and perfection and standard of God. And Jesus had to do it. He had to be a sinless sacrifice because we could not be sinless. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, here's what Jesus did. That he said, I'll take your sin on the cross of Calvary and I'll give you my righteousness if you'll accept it. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't work to be saved. Jesus did the work for us. We work because we have been saved and we are thankful for what he's done. So today if you're here and you'd like to know if when you die you'll spend eternity in heaven, get this, it is not works. It's grace. Grace is you getting what you don't deserve and I don't deserve it. But you have to come to a point in your life where you have accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. You have accepted him in repentance. You have said, I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Listen, you said, well, I went down the altar one time, uh, preacher, and I prayed this prayer. Jesus, I trust you and I'll do my best to live it and maybe I'll get into heaven. That's not salvation. Salvation has nothing to do with your best. To live it out. Salvation has to do with his best. And what he did on the cross of Calvary for you. And all you have to do is receive. Because I'm not working for salvation. I'm working from salvation. If you're here today and you are a believer. Can I say this? How much do we owe Jesus? When it comes to serving God, how in the world could we ever make an excuse for serving God? How in the world could we ever complain about serving God? Because he could have set this up differently. He didn't have to die on the cross. But he did. And he asked us that because you've received that to serve him. Not working for salvation, but from it. Second thing Paul tells us is if you want blessings tomorrow... You have to plant seeds today. When it comes to serving God, if you want blessings tomorrow, you have to plant seeds today. As a matter of fact, here's what he said in verse number eight. For he who sows to this flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now you have to be careful. This principle Paul tells us works good or bad. The bad you sow today will come around later on in your life. Now we don't believe in karma. That's not karma. Uh, uh, karma is Buddhism, Eastern mysticism. This is what the Bible says. It is you will reap what you sow. 
And if you sow, <laughs> there's a Bible verse that says, if you sow to the wind, you'll weep, reap the whirlwind. Like whatever you put in the ground today is going to be your harvest tomorrow. But the good news is, the reverse of that is true, that the good you sow today, the serving God that you do today, uh, will be your harvest of tomorrow, will be your blessing of tomorrow. And the greatest thing about the serving the Lord is it pays dividends for years to come. There's no such thing as an instant crop. Here's what happens. All of the good you're planting today are seeds planted in the ground for you to harvest labor later. The word sow there, one commentator said, could be translated invest. You'll earn dividends on your investment. That means spiritually, relationally, physically. That means financially. Uh, that means mentally. That's all in direct relation to what you plant today. And here's the deal. Listen, Christian, if you want blessings tomorrow, you have to sow seeds today. One of the most profitable farms you can start now per acre is a, a Christmas tree farm. It is a $1 billion a year industry, which is amazing because 50 or 60 years ago, there were absolutely no Christmas tree farms whatsoever. As a matter of fact, in America, the first commercial Christmas tree farm that popped up was in 1901. And in the 1940s, 90% of Christmas trees were cut down where? You know? Right, your neighbor's land. That's right. Right? You remember doing that as a kid? You remember just going out in the woods and your dad taking an axe or a saw and just cutting down a tree? Y'all remember that? Anybody else do that? Yeah. You'd drag back out of the woods the most Charlie Brown looking scraggly tree you could ever imagine, hang three balls on it, and then you'd throw 12 pounds of tinsel on it. Remember that? It's just a glowy silver tree when you were done, covering up the bald spots. Well, in the 1940s, 90% of Christmas trees came out of the woods. But last year, 95% of Christmas trees came from commercial Christmas tree farms or, uh, you know, local Christmas tree farms. That's what we did. We have pictures of me. My girls are little, and they're standing over top of me as I got a hacksaw under there sawing down a tree. That's probably at Home Depot, but I'm, I'm sawing it down, you know, making it look good. But they tell us that the average Christmas tree farmer can earn $15,000 an acre. You say, well, I'm going to go plant a Christmas tree farm. I'm going to make some money this year. Good for you. It takes a minimum of eight years for a seedling to become commercially ready. And so if you want to reap the blessings of a Christmas tree farm, you should have started eight years ago or you need to go home and put seedlings in the ground today can i tell you god's economy works much the same way you want to live a blessed life that's awesome god wants to bless you in your life god wants to give his favor to you but here's the deal you have to plant those seeds today you have to find a place in the church to serve God. You've got to find a place to use your gifts. You've got to use your passions, your resources, and your ability. Because the truth is, God rewards those who serve them. There's a great Bible verse here in the book of the Revelation. Uh, at the end, it said, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work. Here's the deal. God created you to serve him. He placed you in the church to be a contributing part of the body of Christ. So here's what you've got to do. Get busy serving him today. The blessed life tomorrow has to be seeds sown today.
If you want blessings tomorrow, you have to plant seeds today. Let me show you the third thing he tells us in this passage about serving God, and that's this. You may get tired in the work, but never get tired of the work. Here's, here's what he says. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let's not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or if we do not faint. Here's the thing about sowing seeds. It can be a long time until you are eating fruit. And during that time, it's easy to grow weary. And can I say this? Look this way. No one said serving God was going to be easy. Can I, can I tell you this? Serving God is always going to get in the way of other things. Did you know that? We, we tend to live, if you have small kids at home or some of y'all have uh, Josh and Michaela's class, Sunday school class, they got are all having babies over there. And you get a new baby and you get real busy with life because babies are busy, right? Amen. Babies are busy. And that's what grandparents are for, right? We take them away. And so uh, babies are busy. However, here's what we tend to say. Well, when we get them in school, we'll have more time. <laughs> no, you won't. And then you get them in school and you say, well, when we get them up in high school, we'll have more time. No, you won't. Well, when they get a car, we'll have more time. No, you won't. When we get them to college, we'll have more time. No, you won't. Well, when they get married, we'll have more time. No, you won't. I've been an empty nester for a couple years now. Life has not slowed down at all. You say, when I get to be a grandparent. Oh, really? Ask one of them. They're basically an Uber driver in reverse. They drive people around and then they pay the people to let them drive them around. It's like a reverse taxi cab, Ponzi scheme or something. Look, it, it, serving God's always going to get away. You're never, can I say this? You're never going to be rested or free enough to do it. You're never going to be rested. People tell me sometimes, they're preacher, we, we want to we serve God at the church, but we're, just gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna get rested up for it. You're never gonna get rested. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, listen, don't mean to burst your bubble. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, heaven is where we'll get our rest. I know, I know. That's a bummer, but that's the way it is. You're never going to be rested enough. You're probably going to be stretched. And can I say this? If you're going to serve God and plant seeds for tomorrow, you're probably going to have to serve God while you're tired. But you only reap the blessings if you hang in there. Because here's what he said, that in due season, you will reap a harvest if you don't faint. But if you lose heart and give up and quit serving God, your harvest comes to a halt as well. My wife and I, when we were down in the Atlanta area, Gwinnett area, we lived, in a, we lived in a community that had a fairly strict HOA. Matter of fact, I think the Gestapo ran our HOA. They, they measured our grass every month. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't like HOAs. You, you love an HOA when you go to sell your house because it keeps your property values really high. And so, but they, I mean, they control things like the color of your door, the color of your roof. I mean, I know some of you up here in North Georgia, you're anti that. We loved it down there. Uh, you just got to figure the system out and go with the flow. And that's what we did. But one of the things you couldn't do was plant a garden, like a vegetable garden in your yard. That was against the rules. So I was flying all around America at the time, going everywhere. And my wife said, let's go to a community garden and rent a 20 by 20 spot. Now, some of you farmers, I know what you're thinking, 20 acres by 20 acres. No, 20 feet by 20 feet. And we had to rent that spot. And it was about 
I don't know, 15 miles from our house. And, and we did it a couple years. And, and I mean, we did it. And my wife is like, you, you want to do this? I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. No, I, I, I don't have any anxiety. She said, well, I want to do it. I want to, I want to get outside and get some, uh, you know, working on hands. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to make vegetable soup and all that stuff. That's, that's great. But man, so we went and plowed up the little spot. And man, there were times I would get off a plane, drive home, pick her up and we'd drive 15 miles and we'd be hoeing in the garden and working trying to keep the weeds off our tomatoes and peppers and onions and all that stuff that we had planted out there, squash and okra. We, we were trying to, we just pack it in there. And look, we did it one year and it did fine and we did it the second year and I got to thinking. I drive past 15 grocery stores on the way here. I can't tell the difference between a Kroger tomato and a, red, and a garden-grown tomato. If you slap enough mayonnaise on it, they all taste the same. <laughs> and it was about July that last year. I looked at her and I said, I'm done. So what do you mean I'm done? I said, I'm not going back. I'm done. Here's $1,000. Go buy all the tomatoes or whatever you need. I'll give you whatever much money you need. I'll give it to you. I'm done. I'm not going back there and hoeing in July and August anymore. I'm not going back there and carrying water over there and watering that thing anymore. I'm, I'm as done as done could be. I am done. So she secretly, I feel like, didn't want to do it either. So we were done. But you have one rule. You have to clean up your spot at the end of the year. We went to our spot at the end of the year, and we had abandoned it really in harvest time just about, and, and, and um, we'd went to our spot, and we'd, we'd, we'd gone to our spot, and uh, you said, well, was there fruit? No, man, all the fruit was gone. You know why? Actually, I had grown a great crop of grass right in, well, uh, lawn grass, right in the middle. Of, it is Atlanta, to be specific. Lawn grass right in the middle of that plot in... in um, my, some of you will get that when you get home. Sorry, uh, uh, it was Atlanta. But anyway, so I, 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 I'd grown a great crop of weeds and grass. and There was no fruit to be had. You know why? Because I'd quit. And it all got choked out and it was all gone. Because I lost heart, I lost harvest. Because I lost heart, I lost harvest. Can I tell you what the enemy is going to do to you? The enemy is going to dangle a life of ease in front of you. The enemy is going to dangle no responsibilities in front of you. You're going to have a neighbor every now and then say, where are you going every Sunday morning? You're going to say, well, I'm going to the church. Well, why are you church four hours? Well, I, I work in one service and I, you know, I, 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 I attend the next worship service. And, and, and your neighbor's going to be like, hey, well, why do you do that for? We're going to the lake. You want to go to the lake with us? And the enemy's going to dangle that in front of you. But can I tell you something? When that happens, think about eternity. Because there is a harvest to reap. If you keep serving God and you want to invest your life in something that will outlast you. And if you want to keep reaping the blessings of heaven, hang in there. Keep teaching that class. Keep serving in the preschool. You know, we have almost 300 preschool volunteers and we need more. 
You're not going to work your way to heaven in preschool, but you might get a better seat when you get there. Keep working in the youth, keep working the children, keep singing the choir, keep being a greeter, keep being a deacon, whatever it may be. Sow the seed of service today. And don't lose heart and reap the blessing your whole life. Would you close your Bibles and stand with me? Would you just look this way for a second? You could be here today, and the fact is you are trying to work your way to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing you can do. You are out of luck. You cannot earn heaven, work your way to heaven, be good enough to get there. So many people are like, well, preacher, I'm just trying to be good to my fellow man. And that is awesome. But you'll spend eternity in a place called hell. If that's what you're trusting in. You need to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Can I say, if you're a Christian, let me ask you a question. In 2019, if you only reaped the favor of God that you sowed in service in 2018, what would that look like? The best time to serve God, start serving God was last year, but the second best time is today. And can I say this? Can I say this from the bottom of my heart? Please look this way. To every single person at Peavine that serves, thank you. Like it takes hundreds of volunteers every Sunday. On Wednesday nights, we have about 800 people. Do you know we use every single room on campus on Wednesday nights? Every single room. We don't have any extra rooms. It takes hundreds of volunteers to do that. And I don't want you to ever think, hey, they don't, they, they take that for granted. Can I say this? I'm not the typical preacher that, that never had a real job. I have worked 60s and 70 hours a week. I was a vice president of a company before I went into full-time ministry. I, I worked 60 and 70 hours a week. My wife will verify that. I had, a, I had an hour and a half uh, one-way commute at one point in my life. And you know what I did? I drove a bus, a, a, a church bus on Sunday mornings. I taught a youth Sunday school class. I preached in children's church. I actually sang in the choir when I could. I drove a bus on Sunday nights. I drove a bus on the midweek service and taught a class in the midweek service. I've been, I, I've, I've been where you are. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't reward you the way you need rewarded, but God has and will and will continue to do so. But let me say this. I know that gets tiring. But hang in there. The harvest is for those who don't lose heart. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? If you're here today and you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you can take care of that today and know that when you die, heaven is your home. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me. It's not the words you say, but it's, it's the intent of your heart to trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And if you'd like to be saved today, you can pray something like this. Not the exact words, but something like this. You can say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that Jesus has done all the work for me to go to heaven. And I, all I have to do is receive it. So just now, I invite Christ into my life to forgive me of my sins and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. Hey, this morning, if you just prayed that prayer a minute, listen, you are born again. There's a couple things you need to do, the Bible says.
We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.